something went wrong. Okay. I hope that by now he's back on track. You can, you can fail terribly and still be used of God. Did you know that? Okay. You can't be used the same way. Men, if you're a preacher and you, and you commit immorality and you're no longer worthy to be a preacher, um, the greatest sadness you had, I read this from a survey, the greatest sadness you will have, men, if you commit immorality and, and, and are out of the ministry, the greatest sadness you will have is that you will not be able to serve God in that ministry anymore. That doesn't mean you won't be able to serve God. You can still do something for him. You can still fail and do something for him. And what is left over in, at, the great, at the judgment seat of Christ is not the failure. That's all burned up. What is left over is what you did do for Jesus Christ. Okay. So that should be encouraging. There's an eternal heaven waiting with eternal rewards of some kind. The Bible isn't real clear on that. It talks about crowns at several places and so forth. But God is going to reward. He's not unworthy to forget your work and labor of love for him, for Jesus Christ. So think about it. What is your eternal narrative? By the way, sin is not judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Can you say it with me? If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light, sin is not judged. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. From what? All sin. From what? All sin. Part of our sin? All sin. So if the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, is there going to be sin left over at the judgment seat of Christ? No. Um, Romans 8 and verse 1. Okay. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. It's all gone. In verse 33. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Is there any condemnation at the judgment seat of Christ? No. It's scary because we stand before Jesus Christ who created the universe in his glorified body. We stand before him, and then we fall before him. And then he lifts us up and he encourages us. It's not going to be walking in and, hey, Jesus, great to see you today, right? It's going to be, when, however we come before him, it's going to be walking in and, and collapsing because our knees won't hold us up because he's scary now. But he's also still the Jesus that was full of love. He's loving. You sing that with me. If we walk in the light, how many remember that from my classes? If, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So all sin is blood. It's under the blood. Cleanse under the blood. So what then is going to happen at the great white throne judgment? Sorry, we won't be at the we won't be judged there at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, sometimes it's called the Bema because that's the Greek word for it, the Bema. Um, but um, Bema just is a general word for seat. It's not for a judgment seat of some kind. It might be sports. It might be a bad guy being judged in, in the New Testament. But 
uh, simple, or it might be just, you know, the king sitting there uh, looking out, okay? Um, what will your life look like in heaven? That's the question I want to ask today. And, and I, I, won't, I won't have time to deal with everything. I'm just going to deal with three possibilities for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Three possibilities for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, and this might be surprising to you, love in small things. Love in small things. Okay. Matthew 10, 42. Matthew 10, 42. Most of most of my scripture today I'm just reading, but I, I'd like you to read this with me or look at it with me, okay? Matthew 10, 42. And whosoever shall give to drink under one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. This says to me that simply a cup of cold water <coughs> at the right time, given by the leadership of God, given with the Holy Spirit within you saying, hey, give that person a cup of water. That produces reward in heaven. A small act of kindness. It might not even get much smaller than this, unless, you know, someone drops their pencil and you pick that up and give it to them. That's a kind act. But this is a small kind act. Right? But it's eternal. Every time I see this passage, every time I talk about this, I remember a time when I was given a cup of cold water. Very hot day, Franklin, Tennessee. I was over there with another uh, soul winner from our church and uh, 30, 30 minutes away, and, and the other uh, fella, um, I think he was actually on staff at the time, and he wanted to start a branch Sunday school over there, so we went over and we did visitation, and, and uh, I was by myself out visiting, and he was by himself somewhere, and, uh, and it was hot. This is Tennessee. And I was so hot and so thirsty, but uh, just plugging on for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came to this one house. Out in the yard was a woman, and she was doing some yard work of some kind. And I, I came up to her and said, are there any children here? You know, we're, we're trying to start a, a branch Sunday school over here. And so I talked to her for a minute. She said, no, we don't have any children. And she said, she said but, but wait just a minute. And she walked away, and she went in the house. Well, what's going on here? And she came out with a cup of cold water. And she gave it to me, and I drank it, and I've never tasted water so good as on that day in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, we did have one evangelistic service I preached. Uh, problem that we didn't, we didn't foresee was we had gotten agreement for a local church, from a local church there, um, to do this evangelistic service. And in the message, I said, whosoever will may come. And I had about 10 young people, 10 kids, come up to the front. I gave an invitation. I took them in the back room to make sure they knew what they were doing. And I was the only one there to, I mean, my friend was back out in the, in, you know, in the auditorium. I was the only one there to deal with them, about 10 kids. And I tried to deal as carefully as I could with all of them together. And uh, after a while, the pastor came in the back with some more. I thought, wow, that's great, you know. What I didn't know is that my friend told me later he had mocked my invitation. But then more kids came forward when he mocked me. So he didn't know what to do with them, and he brought them back. Why did he mock me? He was a five-point Calvinist and <laughs> didn't believe in what we were saying. I was kicked out of that church, never allowed back again. Uh -huh. 
Because I said, whosoever will may come. That's what the pastor's wife told me. You said, whosoever will may come. As I sat there in my car, she was angry. But I said, whosoever will may come. And praise the Lord, some kids got saved. And, and part of that reward goes to that lady who gave me a cup of cold water. Because that was such a huge encouragement to me that day. Every kindness you do, no matter how small, in the name of Jesus Christ, remains. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And verses 34 through 40. Very familiar passage. Just over a few pages. Matthew 25. 34 through 40. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Blessed are my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, done it unto me. The smallest kind deed done to the smallest of the brethren of Jesus Christ is done to Jesus. And there will be reward in heaven for that. So don't neglect the little kindnesses for your roommate, your classmate, whoever. Don't neglect those little kindnesses. I'm, I'm out to serve God. I'm on my way. Help him. Help her. That will be rewarded in heaven. Loving a small child is eternal. Did you ever get impatient with the kids? How many of you are involved in some kind of kids' ministry? Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, almost everyone here. Well, it's Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Love the kids. That has reward. Love those little types. I heard them called the crumb grabbers, the knee biters. <laughs> then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them, verse 13. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. God rewards you when you bless the children. And it's easy to get frustrated and, it, you know, forth and so on. I've, I've done my share over the years of, of uh, Oana and, and uh, Sunday school in both America and Japan and so forth. When I, as soon as I hit Oana, uh, a little face came to my mind. And uh, his name was Rusty. He had Down syndrome, about 10 years old. And we'd go pick him up, and I'd be in the back seat, and the, you know, the head of the Iwana program in the front seat, and, and little Rusty, little Rusty had a talent. He could perfectly imitate a siren. <laughs> <laughs> so one day we're driving along, and he, Rusty is in the back seat, out in the back seat, and, and Rusty does his siren. And the head of the Iwana program, the driver pulls over. <laughs> he was really, really good. Not get mad at Rusty, he just he 
do, Rusty? That's Rusty, you know, doing his thing. Uh, oh, but God, God loves the children. Jesus loves the little. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Don't ever think that dealing with that child and being sweet to that child is useless or will not be remembered by Jesus Christ because Jesus loved the little children. I'm thinking of a girl named Peggy Cubble. Peggy Cubble. Her parents were missionaries to Japan. At the beginning, when, when World War II came along, before the war, America, uh, Japan had already invaded uh, China and, and Korea and so forth. And, and they started to speak out against the war, even as missionaries, probably not wise, but their board sent them to the Philippines instead. But guess what? The Japanese invaded the Philippines. And the couples fled into the mountains uh, with some others, some other missionaries, some other people, and they had, there was a grove of trees there they named, that where they started living, and they named that Hopeville. And then they built a little chapel up there called a Chapel in the Glen, and they had their services there. But an American pilot was shot down in the Philippines and captured by the, well, he went to the, he went to Hopeville for a little while and went from there to try and get away and he was captured by the Japanese and he was tortured. And the Japanese found out about the couples, went up into Hopeville and captured them and arrested them and took them back down to the base. Headquarters said to the local commander, execute them. But they had talked to the local commander and convinced them, we're just missionaries, we're not here to oppose Japan or anything. But, and the commander, the local commander, brought headquarters and said, look, look, they're just missionaries, they're not, they're not going to hurt us. But the command came down, you have to execute So they said, give us one hour to pray. And Mr. and Mrs. Couple knelt down and prayed for one hour and then said, now we're ready. The Japanese were so impressed by the peace that they had on their faces. One Japanese soldier saw that and after the war got a hold of the Bible and trusted Christ as Savior because he saw the peace of God in their face. They were executed. In America, their daughter, Peggy, heard about it. She was just a teen, I believe she was in college at the time. And she heard about it and she began to hate the Japanese. Missionary kid, America had been to Japan, had lived there. She knew the Japanese, but she heard they had killed her parents and she began to hate them. But God began to work on her heart. God gave her love for those people that had killed her mother and father. So she said, what can I do? She began going to Japanese prison camp, prisoner of war camp, to take food and to be a blessing to those Japanese prisoners After the war, a man named Mitsuo Fuchida, or Japanese Fuchida comes first, Fuchida Mitsuo. He heard about Peggy, and he heard about her parents, and he heard about how they had prayed for an hour, and then they had such peace on their face when they, faces when they died. And he said, I need to find out more about this Jesus. Here's a girl who, who, whose parents were killed by us, and yet she became kind to to the prisoners. If I remember correctly, Fujita actually went to America and met her. All she did was be kind to her enemy. 
Fujita in Japan met a missionary named Jacob DeShazer. If you've heard the story, Fujita was the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor in the lead airplane. He said, Tora, 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 to attack, which means tiger, tiger, tiger. That was the code word, and they attacked our, code word, and they attacked our ships. But after the war, he met DeShazer, who had been a prisoner in Japan, one of, uh, the, one of the raiders who, la who landed the first bomb raid, bombing raid on Japan, and then he was captured in China. And the Shazer led him to Jesus Christ. One girl, kind deeds to her enemy. And I believe that had a big part in the salvation of Fujita. Never, ever underestimate that little kind deed. Okay? It'll last forever. Never underestimate being sweet, being kind to a child. That will last forever. Secondly, the second thing that you can do for your eternal narrative is love for following Jesus. Okay? Pursuing his presence. That produces treasure in heaven. Luke 18.22. Luke 18.22. We have a number of passages I could have looked at you know, like this. Uh, this is uh, one of the synoptic zone. I thought this was the best passage for this, best comparison for this. Remember the rich man that came to Jesus? And what did Jesus say in verse 22? Um, and when, when Jesus heard these things, okay, the guy's bragging, yeah, I kept all of the commands of Jesus, of, of, of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So in other words, Whatever you give up to follow Jesus Christ, that will last forever. That's part of your eternal narrative. You gave it up for Jesus Christ, it'll last forever. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to obtain what he cannot lose. Remember Jim Elliot? Give up anything for Jesus Christ. He remembers. He remembers that. And he will reward that. It's a kind of a general statement here, but think about total and complete dedication to Jesus Christ, Matthew 16. This is what it requires. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Jesus is asking the young man, young man to do, the young rich man, Matthew chapter 16, verses 22 through 27. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, and saying, Far be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Reward for following Jesus. Simply giving up it all and following him. If there's something you haven't given up yet for Jesus in your heart, you got this, this, and this, Lord, but I, I'm going to keep this one a while. 
Don't be afraid of giving it up. Think of your eternal narrative. There's treasure in heaven for those who give up everything to follow Jesus. And never look back. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Don't look back. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Don't be afraid to give it up if you have to. Matthew 24, 9. Don't be afraid to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Some of you here will suffer. America is on a pathway to persecution of Christians in a physical way. We're not there yet. We're getting there. First, Matthew 24, 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. My parents were surrendered to go to Tibet as missionaries in the 1940s. If they had gone, I probably would have been born in Tibet if they had lived that long. Tibet at that time was a very nasty place, very easy to get sick there, very easily, very easy to be persecuted there. A very nasty place. Uh, according to what I've heard, I have not been able to verify this, there were more missionaries buried on the border of Tibet than there were Christians in the entire country at that time, 1947-ish. My mom and dad were actually accepted by the Chinese mission to go to Tibet. They went to a boot camp in Pennsylvania, uh, CIM boot camp. And at that point, they were on their way to Tibet. That was the narrative they had in their head, okay, to go to Tibet and minister for Christ there, maybe die for Christ there. That was the narrative they had in their head. The mission decided my mom was not healthy enough. She was, she was mad about that for the rest of her life. <laughs> uh, see, mom and dad came to Japan to visit us, and everywhere we went, she said, I could have done that, I could have done that. <laughs> Everything but my preaching. She didn't say that about my preaching, you know. Uh, but everywhere we went, mom, mom was certain she could have been a great missionary. But that wasn't God's narrative for her. God's narrative for her was to be a preacher's wife for 55 or so years in America. Dad preached for 60 years. Okay. Dad and Mom fell in love in a big way in college. They, were, they fell in love so badly that my grandfather, my grandfather had a rule, um, you can't get married until you get out of college. When he saw how badly my mom and dad were in love, he, he said, we better get them married off quick. <laughs> They would have happily gone to Tibet and died for the cause of Jesus Christ. I, they had a book in the library I read when I was a teenager, and it told about Tibet. It was all about Tibet and what Tibet is like. And the guy that wrote the book went to Tibet and was captured by Tibetan uh, horsemen and put on a horse that literally had nails sticking up out of the saddle. And they tortured him that way. It was a nasty, nasty place, and my parents were willing to go there. What is your narrative, your eternal narrative? You don't know yet. It could be to go into a place like that. It could be to be in America and be persecuted in America. You don't know. Are you willing? Are you ready? Have you in your heart? Have you, have you already made that decision? If it comes down to it, I'll stand up for Jesus Christ. But finally, love for lost souls. That produces eternal reward. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. Another passage that's directly about the second of uh, the the uh, judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11. Funny, but Paul didn't write a whole lot about the judgment seat of Christ, except to the Corinthians. 
I guess they were the ones that needed to think about it. So 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 10, 11, I'll get there, not there yet. Went too far, go back a couple of pages. All right. Well, let's start with verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every man may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So the terror of the Lord, remember, the terror of the Lord is when you meet him in his glorified body and you're scared to death because he's so awesome. And your knees give out on you and you fall down just like the Apostle John did. And then Jesus comes and he lifts you up and he comforts you. And he says, let's look at your life and see what's left for me that you did for me while you were on earth. He'll comfort you. It should be a comforting thing. Get rid of that old narrative on earth where you blew it where you made mistakes, where you weren't filled with the Spirit, where you didn't act in faith. And Jesus just takes all that away. And your sins will be as far as the east is from the west. I've been east to the other side of the world. Now I've come back west, back to America. Didn't see my sins anywhere. Except sometimes in my own memory. Right? But God, Jesus, is gonna, he's going to expunge all of that. And I'll take all that away when we get to heaven. You won't remember the times we blew it. That should be an encouragement. But above all, will you have any souls to present to Jesus Christ? Daniel 12, 3. I love, I love Daniel 12, 3. And it produced that little song, Will There Be Any Stars in Your Crown? I think this is the passage that produced that. This is just such a beautiful little verse. Daniel 12, 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So there will be people in heaven, if you've trusted, if they, if they trusted Jesus Christ somehow through your ministry, and maybe you don't even know, maybe it's a track that you gave out, you never knew what happened to it, there will be people there, and, and you will shine. Through them. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. Once again to the Corinthians, Paul's just trying to get these people squared around somehow. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11. Okay, I'm getting there. All right, this is a new Bible, so I'm still working through it. All right. We read this already, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone may receive the things done in his body, what according be it done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In other words, knowing that I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I seek to win souls to Jesus Christ. Now, when you win a soul to Christ, you have an eternal friend. Did you ever think about that? Luke 16, 9. Luke 16, 9. Luke 16 and verse 9. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fall, they might receive you into everlasting habitations. 
as I prepared for this, I, I was looking at a story I wrote out of Boone Helfrich. When I knew Boone, he was already up in his 90s, going soul winning every day. Or not every, every week, not every day. But um, Boone, Boone was just a great guy up in his 90s. He had gotten saved in his 20s from a little tract that I've never seen elsewhere, but he, he got that tract and that, and he trusted Christ through that tract. For the rest of his life, he printed that tract at his own expense from his savings. Boone never got married. He was just a, a, a security guard for most of his life. Most of his uh, business career, he was just a security guard and, and uh, never became anything great in man's eyes. But he passed out tens of thousands of those tracts at his own expense. And I got a letter from, I had written him, and after we got to Japan, I wrote him and just asking him about his life, some things about his life. And Boone wrote me back, and, and he talked about <coughs> buying that tract himself, and he said, well, I took it out of my savings. I think it was $7.92 for another 100 tracts, something like that. And I asked him, what are, what are some of your most memorable uh, salvation people that got saved through your ministry? And he gave several examples of people who got, sa who got saved through his, his soul and his, even his tract out. And uh, none of them were real, you know, stand out. Oh, they became a great preacher and a thousand were saved. But, but his memories of soul saving. When you get to heaven, the souls that you went to Christ down here will still be in your memory. Not only that, they'll be there eventually. And they'll come to you and say, oh, thank you for leading me to Jesus Christ. So let's say even here on earth, you, you don't live very long. You know, maybe someone killed you like Charles Wesco died. Someone killed you. He didn't live very long, did he? But there are people in heaven, perhaps even now, who have already come up to him and said, oh, thank you for telling me about Jesus Christ. A doctor in India was dying, a missionary doctor was dying, and a young doctor was just there just for a short, short term. He came to the old doctor and he said, uh, do you regret coming here to India and spending your entire life here? You're a doctor, you could have made a lot of money in America. You could have been rich. Could have been well known. You're a tremendous doctor. Do you regret coming here to serve Christ in India? The doctor said, let me tell you a story. When I get to heaven, a girl is going to run up to me and take me by the hand and say, let me lead you to Jesus. And, she, and she's going to lead me to where Jesus is, and I'm going to meet my Savior for the first time. He says, and that little girl, she's going to tell me, thank you for leading me to Jesus. Is it worth it? Yes. Remember that song? Must I go an empty handed? Must I greet my Savior soul? Not one soul with Christopher yet. Must I empty handed go? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to do a quick survey here. Nobody looking, I'm just going to ask, how many will say, Brother Himes, I've never yet, as far as I know, led a soul to Jesus Christ? All right, several of you. Thank you. There's just several. 
How many will say, Brother Hines, well, I have led someone to Jesus Christ, but I'm just not faithful about it. Raise your hand. Yeah, I should raise my hand on that, too. Sometimes I don't witness when I should. Thank you. And most of you raise your hand on that. Just think of eternity, though. Think of eternity. Just where you are, why don't you just pray and ask the Lord to help you think of eternal things and, and leading folks to Christ that will meet you in heaven and, and kind deeds. How many will say, Brother Himes, I, did, I, I felt convicted about the kind deeds thing, little things that you do for people, kindness, love and kindness. I felt convicted about that. I've not been kind sometimes. Yeah, there's some there too. All right, why are you, right where you are, let's just take a minute and you pray and ask God to help you in these areas. Would you do that?